Hi, this is X O'Connor, and you are listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Thanks for tuning in again. This past week, we were able to sit down with Jared Anderson, who's a tremendous artist and songwriter from the great state of Colorado, whose songs include The Great I Am, Rescue, Hear Us From Heaven, and Almighty. Now, we've known Jared for maybe eight years now, and it was a ton of fun to sit down with him and have him share with us a lot of his struggles, including how he was initially very hesitant to even pursue music as a career. He was afraid to take something that meant so much to him, something that he had so much passion for, and rely on it to support him and his family. He takes us through his journey of navigating what he calls the misleading creative process as he discovered all of these ideas that he came up with and loved and spent time tons of time developing, ended up kind of falling flat and just not making sense to other people. And then these ideas that he would set aside for another time or that he would just completely ignore because he didn't think they were quite good enough, that he wasn't quite ready to pursue, those ended up being the ideas that turned into songs that reached people around the world. So if you're an artist or a writer who feels like they are constantly having to change their style to fit the current music trends, then pay close attention to this one. Jared continuously finds ways to take his love for jazz and other crazy symphonic compositions and meld them not only into songs that kind of document a season of his life, but songs that are able to reach and uplift people around the world. So just two things before we jump into this episode with Jared. There's always a ton of things happening around the world of Full Circle Music. Our brand new studio facility is just days away from completion, and we have some projects coming up that we're extremely excited about, and we're going to be documenting all of these things. So if you want to keep up with everything Full Circle Music, head on over to Instagram, follow us at Full Circle Music Co. That's at Full Circle Music Co. And then secondly, we wanted to give you a quick update on our podcast review challenge. Now we are super excited. We are up to 52 reviews now. That's 31 reviews from just last week alone. That's 31 brand new reviews. We're so excited and we're over halfway to our goal now. We need 100 reviews by the end of May. So remember, if we can hit 100 reviews by the end of May, we'll be releasing our six brand new songwriting technique and tricks videos and our six brand new production techniques and tricks videos. That's 12 videos that Seth and I just made that'll be free to everyone if we can hit that 100 review mark by the end of May. So thanks to everyone who's already left us a review. And if you haven't left a review yet, it's super simple. We're already right here in iTunes. Just takes a second. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you. All right. So I think that's everything. Without further ado, let's get into this episode with Jared Anderson. Welcome to the Full Circle Music Show. I'm X O'Connor. I'm sitting here with my old friend, artist, songwriter extraordinaire, Mr. Jared Anderson. How are you doing today, Jared? Good to be with you, brother. Man, it's good to have you. It's been a while Thanks, since I've man. seen you around these parts, yeah. man. Back in the studio with us, right. doing a little writing today. Yeah. And then just doing a little chatting before the writing. That's right. Awesome, man. Well, why don't you go ahead and let's just dive in here. Let's just give our listeners yeah. a little backstory into like how you got into music, what what brought sure. you to kind of where you are today, man. How did you start out? What got you into music to begin with? Man, for some reason, I want to start taking piano lessons. And I started when I was eight years old. I used to take a sofa chair and yeah. some drumsticks and pretend like one arm was the hi-hat and the seat, you know, was <laughs> yeah, the yeah. snare. So I have like pictures of that stuff. So no one really in my family was musical. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to take piano lessons. So they said, my folks said, if you start taking lessons, you can't quit for four years. 
They wanted some commitment. Which to an eight year old <laughs> yeah, is close. It's like here's a contract. Sign this. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming home crying, like I didn't want to play anymore. Anyways, it pushed through. And I was an only child, more or less. My half brother is seven years older than me. Okay. So after sixth grade, it was like my friend. Yeah. My piano was my friend. Yeah. So I I started helping out in the youth group and church a little bit. And uh, my parents were super involved in church. And I went and studied music. I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do, but I might as well study something I enjoy. Yeah. I really did not think I would do music for a living. But I started writing songs in, in college. One of the songs I wrote was called I Think I'll Charge Tickets to the Sunset. Okay. And it said, I think I'll charge tickets to the sunset and add another dollar to sit on my swing set. <laughs> I think I'll charge tickets to the sunrise. The coffee's free and the cream is half price. And it was like, but this thing was, what it was about is doing music for a living felt like charging tickets to the sunset. Yeah. Like, I didn't ask for this like desire or gift or this like love inside of me. Yeah. And yet here I am like, wow, like I might actually kind of like be into this or do this. Anyways, I just, I just loved music. And part of the reason why the wrestling of not wanting to do music for a living was because I loved it so much. I didn't want to have to like eat off of music. Yeah, you didn't like, want it to be your job. You no, wanted it to be the passion. Well, that was like so scary. Yeah. Like, oh, then I'm going to have to get out and hustle and like, and be like, oh, it's cool. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, you'd have to compete with people. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, like a competition. And I'm like, no, I love it too much to have to do that. Yeah. And so I thought my dad was a builder in construction. I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll do construction and, and enjoy music. Yeah. One of the guys I studied in music history was uh, Charles Ives. Okay. So this dude is a composer. He never did music for a living. He sold insurance <laughs> and he wrote symphonies on nights and weekends. Hey, man. And his dad was a uh, band director and he worked in an office in New York City. Outside his office one day, he hears there are two concert bands like marching bands rehearsing yeah and two of these bands cross in the street and so he writes a symphony that sounds like two marching bands crossing in the street holy cow and i was like that's what i want to do with my life nobody's going to do that that's yeah. crazy that's so cool yeah that's what i want to do and now i'm not doing it <laughs> Harsh realization. Oh, dude. I have missed the mark. <laughs> dude, composition's not for uh, everyone, man. Uh, I haven't right. played violin since, you know, <laughs> Suzuki strings back in yes. like seventh grade. Suzuki. <laughs> no, like, that was just like, that captured my imagination. Yeah. And so the best song I've ever written. To this day, I wrote in college, and it's called Neptune's Taming of the Seahorse. Yeah. And it's something that no one else will write. Okay. So 
I graduate from college. I grew up at a church that, as I was growing up, became super, super large, yeah. like 10,000 people or whatever. And my worship pastor who came when I was 12 was like, man, after college, you should come help us. And I was like, no, man, like worship music is like karaoke, like sing along, like we yeah. could train monkeys to do this, yeah. right? Like <laughs> it's three chords and super simple and kind of sway back and forth. And I just can't do that with my life, you know? Yeah. I was into all this compositions and jazz stuff was blowing my mind. And I'm like, ah, this is so cool. How am I going to go back and do something so simple? Yeah. This is not going to work. Everything else I tried, like to get out, to go other places, to do other stuff, just nothing was working out. So I was like, well, it's just a year. All he's asking me for is a year. And so I'll go and do it. And it drove me crazy. Like I liked all the people. Like I yeah. was friends with all these people. My heart was like, I, I, I love God. I love these people. But doing this, this is like, this is not cool. Yeah. Like this is not enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. As I just began to help out I was like I would be at the piano like playing on her altar calls and like just forever like yeah. improvising just and noodling something prayer, yeah prayer meetings and all this stuff and while you're doing that your mind is wandering around right mm -hmm. you're like kind of holding but it is a place it's actually a really creative space to be kind of jamming yeah <laughs> Uh, by yourself. Um, <laughs> oh, you're uninhibited. No one's in there telling you to do anything. There's no vocal right. melody going over the no. top. It's just it's just filling space. It's filling space. And yeah. so in those times, I just like started writing these songs, worship songs. And the church had kind of started, had a studio and was starting to make some records. And, and pretty soon over the course of four or five years of doing that, I was like making a living was like I remember getting the song I got a $500 check and I was just in shock and I was a little sick honestly like oh my gosh I don't I don't even know what I did yeah like I wasn't trying to do anything I was just like I had that feeling in my gut that I don't know what to do with mm -hmm. and so I try to sing at that yeah. And now it was like 500 bucks. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this happened. It just over, it kind of took me over. Yeah. It's just, I was brand new, newly married. Yeah. My wife remembers it to this day. We're just like, that's just crazy. You know? Yeah. Like you've just stumbled on something really beautiful yeah so yeah I was, I was newly married i got married when i was 23 we had our first child when i was 25 mm -hmm. we had three kids in two and a half years oh wow we were just fast and furious just drowning yeah you know just like never sleeping dude you gotta hear this i mean i was i always had a piano in my house yeah when we had my first kid Every time I touched the piano, my kids screamed. Oh, man. Which oh. makes it hard to probably write from home. Right? You're like, oh, I'm so angry. Yeah. Now. 
And then we're in a like 1500 square foot house, put the kids to bed. You can't play. You're yeah. going to wake them up. Yeah. Right. I literally like felt handcuffed and I was almost, I was angry at my kids or it just caused this like tension of yeah. like, Duh. yeah. So absolutely. I bought a guitar and went to the yard, but, um, <laughs> 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 so I moved out. We sold that house. We moved into this rental. We were figuring out what we were going to do. And I was finally in a place that we could put the kids to bed and the piano was in like a front room that should have been like a dining room or something. Yeah. And I could shut the door. And over a couple nights, I wrote this song called The Great I Am. Mm -hmm. And... I wasn't leading anywhere. I was in the process of leaving the staff at my church and I didn't know what I was doing and I was helping out, but I wasn't like kind of introducing new songs, which kind of had been my previously, I'd be like, well, I'd write a song. I would write a song on Saturday morning and yeah. do it that night. Like I was a little crazy, but yeah. so wrote this song it sat there. We end up moving here to Nashville for a year and then, went back and built a house and I helped out a little more at the church, but just like once in a while, not a, not as a job. And, and that's probably, well, you and I had worked together quite yeah. a bit doing demos yeah. over on the West side yeah. and they were looking to make a record. And mm -hmm. so I was uploading all these sweet demos that we had made and songs. I was like, Oh, I'm writing like the coolest stuff ever. I'm all pumped. Yeah. I'm like, this is super creative this is going to spin some heads. And I got like zero feedback on all these songs. And it was, I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm really going in a direction and no one's even catching any of it. Yeah. So I went to the director of the project and I was like, man, I'd love to serve this project. Like when you think about this, what do you think about? Like, mm -hmm. so he starts talking about like his kind of heart for the project. And I'm like, well, I do have this one song. That, like, as you're talking, I'm remembering this song. And I played it for him. And he's like, I think you're leading in a couple of weeks. Why don't you try it out? And then it goes on the record and does this, just keeps going and going yeah. and going. And then it goes like all over the world, you know? Just a big thing of like, I've realized like a lot of times the things I think are going to be big mm -hmm. don't end up being big. And the things I'm like, oh yeah, this is one thing, you know? Yeah. Sometimes have being significant. So you just like, you can't call it, you know? You don't know what's going to work and what isn't. Yeah. Sometimes the thing you don't think is working is really having an impact, yeah. you know? Absolutely. So that's what makes the creative process so crazy. It can be so misleading. Yeah. But I'll share this story that I love about a guy. He's a Jewish novelist. His name is Chaim Potok. Okay. And if you're looking for a novel to read, my name is Asher Lev is like mind-blowingly good, especially for an artist. But he wrote, he graduated from high school, went to college to study writing. He comes home and his mom says, Hi, I'm, I don't think you should become a writer. 
I think you should become a brain surgeon because you can make a lot of money and you could save a lot of people from dying. So he goes and gets his master's in writing, comes home. Same thing. Hi, I don't think you're supposed to be a writer. I think you should be a brain surgeon because you could make a lot of money and Mm -hmm. save a lot of people from dying. Gets his doctorate, comes home, same thing. <laughs> Persistent mama bear. Yeah. Finally says, Mom, I don't want to make a lot of money and I don't want to save a lot of people from dying. He's like, I want to teach people how to live. And when I think about like the role of the artist mm-hmm. and the role of the writer, the musician, like it's to go ahead of people in taking the risk. Yeah to live from your heart or from your soul or or to live from your story yeah and not for the cash or for the result a premeditated result yeah. like that is like man when we're doing that we're teaching people how to live and that's that's the role of art yeah yeah that's a long story of how I got into music. <laughs> oh, dude, no, I mean, it's always a long travel, you know, for anyone looking to like accomplish anything in, in any field and especially something that's creative, something that is artistic. You know, there's, like you said, there's so many paths that like converge or even take you away from what you think is leading you to where you want to go. But ultimately, it all ends up coming back. There's always that path that just like takes you to what you were you were meant to do. And even yeah. if it was like, the hardships of like not being able to write for you know a year yeah. and a half on end and then all of a sudden you're in this home and you're able to write again and you just yeah. like start pouring out tunes it's yeah. just you know ultimately it's it's all about the journey that brings you to where you are now especially in writing music the journey is often such a heavy part of what influences the words or the songs mm-hmm. i mean it's it's just crazy i mean it's, that's the beauty of art and in you know of music and hearing the story about you know the writer i mean it resonates on so many levels like you don't have to be doing music to find beauty and, you know, creativity or inspiration. I mean, I, I find inspiration in watching, like, different chefs cook and yeah. stuff like that. Just seeing how someone just draws inspiration from anything yeah. and just, like, pours it out and expresses themselves. It's like, it's you know, so I'll cool. go eat a meal somewhere and I'll be like, in a weird way, I'll be full and then want to go work. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, holy Inspired. cow. Yeah, I just look at a mix or a song in a whole different fashion, like, because this one person just ignored rules set aside by whoever in their profession. It's like, okay, well, why can't I do that with what I'm doing? Right. You know what I mean? Dude, my friend took me to Kane Prime. Oh, it's phenomenal. And they had these, like, they weren't strips of bacon. It was like... Oh, the house bacon. Oh, yeah. With the maple syrup cotton candy. Cotton candy. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. are they thinking? Dude, they're thinking it's delicious. It was, <laughs> phena- it, like you say, it was inspiring. Yeah. In fact, Kane Prime specifically is one of the restaurants that got me into loving cooking and loving food in general. Just, I'm, you know, I'm kind of nerdy. Any, any like audio, yeah, yeah, like yeah. tech side of audio Nerd guy out, is a little bit nerdy. And so I'm way into the science of just how food works and everything. And yeah. they, some of the techniques they use are very scientific and it was like, for me, it was like a dawning of like, okay, this is cool. And it, it's actually worked out great being an escape from like music all day. It's totally. like another medium to kind of just like let go a little bit. Because right. you know how it is after a full day of music. Sometimes you just, oh. your ears can't take more. You know, you have no. to have that break. And yeah, it's nice to be able to like, yeah. Oh, that's Look, what's, you got to eat. 
<laughs> Hello. How many of you know? That's what's so interesting. Like people often turn to music mm-hmm. from whatever it is they're buried in all day, whether yeah. it's fixing people or building or whatever. But it does like we too need that change of atmosphere to re- recreate. Yeah. I love that. It's so fascinating. I listen like I listen to a lot of like podcasts, audiobooks, stuff like that. Cause sometimes just after the day of music, you're just fatigued. Yeah. And it's not that you don't want to listen to more music. It's just like sometimes you just physically can't. Right. But at the same time, it's just so cool to listen to someone else what someone else has to say or, you know, like what they've done. Yeah. And just relax and be absorbed in something for right. a minute, you know? Right. So Let's talk for a second. You know, you and I met doing a record yeah. a long time ago. Was that Integrity mm-hmm. that that record was with? Yeah. So after that, because um, you had a couple songs on there that, that were, uh, you know, yeah. bigger or whatever. Yeah. So after that, we started doing, you kind of did some indie records yeah. as well. Talk, mm-hmm. to, talk to us about those for a bit, because I always found it kind of cool that you would just write and then set up in a house and just go for it. Like yeah. what kind of inspired you to kind of do that stuff outside of, because at the time you have a record deal sure. and you know, you're already making music. What, what brought you into wanting to kind of create these outside songs mm. that were separate from that project? Mm. That's a great, good question. So honestly, I have like a confession about I'm like recording is not like a passion mm-hmm. of mine or the, or the, Art of recording is, I'm super not geary. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Like, I don't own any recording equipment or anything like that. I love to play. I think the what inspires me to do a record is, I, is it's like what inspires people to scrapbook. Mm-hmm. Um, I like want a piece that represents a season of my life uh-huh. or a gathering of my thoughts, dreams, desires, whatever. So when I get to the record process, I I just, I love one of the passions in me from an early stage was not plugged in, like no assembly required, like that we could move instruments and push a piano into a square Mm -hmm. and play music. Like... And that, I don't know what being traveling light or whatever that kind of represents, but it just seems so baller to me. Yeah. So like, oh, that is so cool. Yeah. So to be able to just move into a room and play just felt so like guerrilla warfare Yeah. to me. And so the last project I did of that nature, set up in a coffee shop and they would close it. He would be open. For, it was like one guy that worked every day. Yeah. <laughs> He's no longer there. Because uh, <laughs> that, can't, that can't last. <laughs> Too much every of his own day coffee. from like 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. And so I was like, well, could I put this piano against the wall? And then we would move all the furniture at 5 p.m. And track all night. And then move it all back in the morning for him. And so we did that for a week to make a record it was like an experience you know Mm -hmm. that's what brought a bunch of joy it brought a bunch of like i I like those 60s jazz records where that made in basements in new jersey like you just feel like you're in the room with people like you said like 
listening to a podcast or an audio book, you're like, wow, someone's like speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, I'm with them. Yeah. And I feel like it leaves that room for the person to kind of plant themselves, you know, this invitation of like, hey, we're all here and you can tell, you can hear I'm over there and the drummer's there and the horn player's there and and like you could be here too if you want to, you yeah. know? It kind of paints that picture. So that's always been really just inspiring to me. But there's this tension of like, I know you know, and being in the industry, like if you're coming to the industry, you're welcome to the tension. Yeah. <laughs> Of like, well, but if it sounds like this, it'll reach more people, yeah. right? If it if it, you knock it down to three minutes, your possibilities of exposure go up. Yeah. And how do you weigh that? How yeah. do you sit with that tension of like, I know if I get to the chorus in 25 seconds, that it's an advantage or it's looked at as cool or radio thinks it's, very efficient. Yeah. It's ideal. Right? It's yeah. ideal. Yeah. Right. And yet I don't know if I just want to make what's ideal. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you sit in that tension? It's, I mean, it can be tough for sure. You know, as producers, you know, we're here to service the artist and the song as much as humanly possible. I think for us, a lot of times it's finding the balance between like, if their goal is like mass market radio, it's finding that delicate balance of like what serves the song, mm-hmm. but what serves the platform they're looking to accomplish the song through, if that makes mm-hmm. any kind of sense. And I think, you know, a cool thing about what you've done, or at least what I've known you to do, is that you've kind of had the two outlets in that you have mm-hmm. the, the worship and the stuff you're doing with the church and with the record labels, but then you've always had this other form of expression right. that's these these cool indie projects that you guys literally set up a couple days in one spot yeah. and just everything live everything just expressed in this one voice and then literally we just kind of put it together and yeah. let people hear it like hey this is exactly how it came out and right. welcome to it yeah you know was that mm-hmm. was that kind of a cool release for you to be able to do like oh, as bro. a separation from like where you had been like headspace all day doing worship stuff with the church and writing for other artists and stuff like that. And then moving into like, Hey, this is just me literally just letting my mind out kind of thing. Oh yeah. And it's like, honestly, every January 1st, it's a new year's resolution of like, I got to play that stuff more. I need to do another, and I call it lamp music. Yeah. And I got to do another lamp record. So I did a show last month and I'm going to do another one in June. But there's so many reasons not to take time. It's it's like such a waste. It's like, it's not super productive, profitable, blah, 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 blah. And yet it's restorative to me in such a way that like frees me. Mm -hmm. I feel like high as a kite when I do that stuff. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh, you're right though. It's like, Anytime you're welcome into attention of like, do I go mass market or how do I reconcile these two things yeah. and, or live in both? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because there's, there's definitely a lot of artists that do kind of live in both worlds and whether they're lucky enough to have a, a label or, you know, someone fu- uh, financially supporting them that's like willing to take the risk and do both in via one project sure. or whatever, or whether they do need to like have their their own separate thing. 
yeah. to, to just express themselves differently. And I think sometimes for fans, it can be a little confusing right. to see like, oh, is this not enough for them or whatever? Because sometimes maybe they don't understand sure. what the what the second release is. But, yeah. you know, ultimately, I think, you know, you're serving the same purpose in both. You're just, like you said earlier, you're wanting to like teach by leading yeah. almost by showing like experience and heartache or whatever you've gone through to take you to where you are now and to share that and help people live their lives and guide them through leading their lives. So question. Yeah. How do you think Pearl Jam has done it? Pearl Jam? Yes. You're playing, playing with my heartstrings now, my friend. I know, bro, because that's where I want to be. (laughs) You know, I love that about you. I mean, for those of you that don't know, I am a gigantic Pearl Jam fan. Um, Gigantic. they, They are... Like they are like my lifeblood. All all the Seattle music from the '90s is just where I'm at. And I think Pearl Jam's just such a cool cool example of like what you can do if you have people committed to and loving what they're doing. Like I remember they have you know they I, I own almost everything they've ever done, including like rare. rare you stuff you're the one that got me into them, See, and I love. You're leading by example, bro. I'm telling you. I'm glad I brought you to oh, the Pearl yes. Jam experience. Yes, bro. Bro. That makes me so happy I'm right in. now. <laughs> I'm in. I'm into it. Man, well, there's this, I think what speaks volumes to them is, I'm just going to kind of quote or paraphrase something that I saw Eddie Vedder do or say in one of his interviews, where he was like, Pearl Jam is just a, the group of us. And we're all here because we want to, like we want to be here. And you know, he, he talks about a time early in like when the second record, third record, it, it became more of just Eddie and Stone writing some songs and everyone else kind of just chipping in. But then, you know, the later records after Vitology, like No Code Yield, stuff like that, it, it again became the full band hmm. like contributing in. And he was like, you know, we literally, we just, we tour and we write and then we kind of go our separate ways and do our thing. But we all come back hmm. and we always all come back. Wow. And he's like, and the interviewer is like, well, what if that doesn't happen someday? He's like, what if someone doesn't come back? And he's like, well, then I guess it's over. Wow. You know? And I think that's a, a testament to how they've persevered this long and still yeah. create unique music that's still them, but still kind of evolves, but doesn't go so far as to where they're overly trying to be yeah. what's the most current thing. I think they just, they keep coming back because they want to keep making cool music together. Bro, and, it's so inspiring. Yeah. And like, I would love to go see him at Wrigley Field someday. I mean, and people know, I mean, they sing all the songs yeah. for like three hours. Yeah. You know, more, and I've been to U2, U2 mm-hmm. and I think they sing Pearl Jam a little louder than they sing U2 songs. I mean, U2, they sing like every third song yeah. about like at the screaming at the top of their yeah, lungs. Yeah. And and I feel like they're the ones that everybody knows. Yeah. They become the world songs with or without you or whatever. Yeah. But Pearl Jam, like I don't know all their songs. Like they're not in me. Mm-hmm. But man, there's a group of people that have all those songs in them, dude. They are <laughs> I in am a them. member they're of part that group of those of people. Soul. I'm like, yeah. wow. I mean, you want to talk about a worship service? It is on. Dude. Like they are captured you know and it's beautiful it's really beautiful and it's not it's not super casual it's not it's not a tourist yeah attraction it doesn't feel like it's a light show yeah right well yeah the production's always really basic it's like it's everything that 
that time period was in music still to this day. Mm. Like, there's not the huge LCD panels behind them. You know, there's not, like, they're not in crazy stage clothes. They're, like, just, they're doing their thing. They're jumping around a little bit, but they're not, like, they're not, like, a lot of those bands where it's just, like, you have to, like, be doing, swinging the guitar around your shoulder or, like, doing backflips or something. You know, it's just, like, they're just doing what they've always done. I had that experience, not to the level, because people don't sing the songs, is hard, but uh, Wilco. Oh, yeah. I went and saw Wilco in Denver, Fiddler's Green Amphitheater. They were on tour with Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And, bro, they came out, really no lights mm-hmm. happening. The crowd didn't, it did not erupt. It was very, <laughs> it was very obvious was that the burn. crowd did not erupt yeah. when they took the stage. But as they began to play, and played and played and played. Yeah. It became a roar. Yeah. When they left, the crowd roared. Yeah. And it was, I was like, man, I, I just resonated with that like small beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Coldplay takes the stage, it's an eruption. Yeah. Right. The lights go off and people's heads explode. And their heads did not explode. Yeah. But it was like, I don't know, there was just something beautiful and it was everything I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Like that captivated me. Yeah. Ugh. It's funny you mentioned Wilco too. Wilco is a band that I, I too never really understood. Like I had a lot of friends that were extremely into Wilco and yeah. I, I just, it's one of those things where I'd hear a song here and there. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't really get it. Yeah. You know, whatever. Right. But then I remember... You know, I was really sick. I'd just gotten off a trip with Seth, actually. We had gone to Washington to record a Love and the Outcome record. And I got really sick while we were out there. Like, Uh, literally got off the plane and went straight to the ER. That's how how sick I got. So I I I go straight to the ER and doctor sees me and is like, you need to like rest seriously for like Mm. the next couple days. So he gave me some painkillers for the pain I was having and you know, some some medicine to to help with with my ailments. And so literally the next few days I'm just laying on the couch. Mm-hmm. And so this is I don't know, five years ago, six years yeah. ago. So this was when like Netflix was in its infancy, you know, Hulu and all that stuff. It wasn't really as mainstream as it is now. So yeah. I'm like I've got my connected Blu-ray player, you know, and just like it, the Netflix at the time showed like 18 titles or whatever. Right. So you're just like stuck with whatever they're showing you on this <laughs> connected Blu-ray player. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'd literally watched like everything on there. And the last thing up was this documentary about Wilco yeah, um, called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. Yes. And I watched that and it was like, I then understood everything about that band. Yeah. Like the sheer amount of passion and emotion they put into creating yes. a, a, a work of what I would dare to call art. Yeah, right. Um, Because it's not a record that you watch them create this thing and they're literally, they're not sitting there trying to appease anybody. Like during the making of this record for anyone who doesn't know or isn't familiar with this band, they actually get dropped by their record label. Yeah. And the label agrees to just let them have the masters. Yeah. Because they don't know what to do with this. And then, but they are literally, they're just sitting there and instead of arguing about like whether or not this song gets to the chorus fast enough or this does this fast enough, they're, they're asking themselves like, does this piano part say what I want this song to say. Like, they're having this argument about 
how weird this song makes them feel or how weird they felt when they wrote it and that this piano part isn't weird enough to express that emotion. Like they're literally arguing right. about if that note yeah. is weird enough in the chord to like be a part of the song. Uh, and then all said, this record transforms into this thing that this guy then hears mm -hmm. and like wants to sign them. And it turns out to be an imprint of the label that dropped them initially. Yeah. And so that first label had paid for the whole record to be made. Didn't cost them anything. And then they finish it out. And then the same label, an imprint of it, buys it back. And they make, I mean, they ended up doing awesome on the deal or whatever. Yeah. But it, it is just so crazy to see how, even in the face of being dropped, they were so passionate about making sure that it expressed who they were. Right. Like that it was like, this is our statement. This is what we are creating. This is what we want people to hear and to feel and to experience. Yeah. And nothing, nothing was going to take that away from right. what they were doing. Right. Which is just super cool, man. Yeah. I think the, as I'm thinking about listeners and even my own like process of like, I want to describe the tension in this way. Like there is a, as we're like growing older, I'm realizing like, man, there is still the nine-year-old inside of me that like wants to be invited, right? He wants yeah. to play along. He wants to, to just go crazy and scream and bounce off the walls and eat peanut butter. Yeah. And then there's also like the kind of, you know, angsty 15 year old, mm -hmm. right? And the clueless 21 year old and like all of that inside. But there's also like, I'm 37 and I'm like, I'm smarter than the 21 year old. Yeah. And yet I still need to give voice and give place to the 21 year old, the 15 year old, the nine year old, but not let them run my life. Yeah. Right? No, absolutely. And not let them like dictate. Yeah. But let like welcome them mm -hmm. in almost like when you were describing like Pearl Jam, like we all go do our thing and then we like come back. Yeah. Right. And like inside of us, like could we welcome, think about like taking care of your own soul and your own story yeah. and being I think like being fully awake means all of that that's inside you is accessible. Yeah. I started taking voice lessons like three years ago. Yeah. And we spend every week a half an hour just warming up. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is checking in with each part of your range and making sure it's supported and uninhibited. Yeah. Supported from your air yep. and your lungs and uninhibited in your throat and realizing like all of this, like I look at my life story like that way, like am, is all of me from the youngest part of me to the, where I am now yep. is all of it accessible, awake, yeah. <laughs> supported and uninhibited, not yeah. in control. Like no, I'm but, in control. Yeah. But welcome and and celebrated, mm -hmm. honestly. And like that is how we teach people how to live. Yeah. Like, and when you get up and sing, I mean, when Adele sings, or when anybody, honestly, when anyone sings with their whole self, what we're doing is like 
or plays. I mean, any of that. When when someone's doing, performing uh, something that's coming out of all of them, mm-hmm. it awakens everyone in the room to be like, I've got to do that. Like, yeah. I've got to live that way. I've got to live awakened and not just like filling my bank account or checking the boxes. Yeah. You know, absolutely competing against the next person or whatever. And that's like, man, I'm just struck with that. Cause like, I look at all these, you know, these bands that we're even talking about these experiences we have and them like, man, you know, I should be doing something else or I should be doing it that way or this person's way or, but really there is a way within me (laughs) if I can. And, and sometimes it requires coaching and that's why I admire like even what we're doing here is kind of like having these conversations to kind of help coach people along the way who are interested, who are getting into it, who are fascinated, who want to know more but like how to take care of yourself and not let the 15 year old who wants to run around, like kind of destroy the place, you know, because a lot of times in music, man, if we're not careful like that, Oh, the talented young boy wonder now gets to rule. Yeah. And yet he doesn't know how to be civil and to be kind to people. And he's kind of a jerk and destroys all of his relationships, Yeah, but he can write songs. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's this like tension of like welcoming the artist, wonder, imagineer, mm-hmm. and yet also like managing, mm-hmm. like being kind and doing well and, yeah. and doing your work. Yeah, balancing it, <laughs> balancing it right. out and making sure you, you stay level in, in personality and in character or whatever. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned having people to like help coach and stuff like that. Yeah. Something we do talk a lot, a lot about here at Full Circle is, you know, having mentorships and having like someone that you can look up to. Because one of the best ways to learn is to learn from someone else directly who's been doing it, yeah. you know, to like find someone to help push you along. When you were kind of developing, did you have someone sure. to help push you along, whether it was in the songwriting aspect or transitioning from kind of the songwriting into the artistry as well? Yeah. A lot of the guys, Craig Dunnigan is a guy who's a, in publishing. He's uh-huh. just always been a, he's always cared, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Another worship guy, Paul Balash, yeah. kind of took me along. I was pretty clueless. And it was just kind of a sounding board. He's like available yeah. to me. Even Kipley, like Kipley's crazy. Yeah. Like he can he can be all over, but his heart is so like genuine and he really does have a ton of experience, a ton of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I remember even through the years calling him, bro, what am I, I, I'm lost. Like, can you help me find out where I am and make sense of myself at the moment? And then I'm actually a guy who was a, my youth pastor in high school like yeah. lives nearby me. We all we all have kids now. So yeah, just a lot of those people staying in contact, man, and yeah. checking in yeah. is super important because you think, oh yeah, I know that person. They're cool. But even to take the instance, like I have a buddy in Clarksville mm-hmm. who was my roommate in college. And now we're like not quite 20 years out, but 
getting there and we have kids and like I had dinner with them on Monday. It's like, man, it takes a little bit of effort yeah. like, to keep someone who's known you for a long time to stay close and to like kind of listen in onto where you are, man, makes, uh, it cuts way back on the loneliness for sure. Oh yeah. It probably helps keep you like on track or even grounded or just like with a cool, unique point of view on like how life's journey has kind of taken you. For sure, man. Yeah. For sure. Dude. And I think that is a lot of what people need, man. They, they do look for a little bit of extra guidance and sometimes it's as much as, Hey, you know, you're straying, you need to be, brought back yeah. this way or even as much to to know that hey it's okay what you, what you're doing is okay like i know for me starting out in music or even as we've kind of like produced people and artists and stuff like that sometimes they do need to know that like yeah you're not doing something that's that's like oh what everyone else does or how everyone else does it but that doesn't mean it's bad right you know it's like it's almost like sometimes people need permission to be like creative yeah. or whatever and they're just waiting to hear Right. Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. It's okay to like go and try that. It's like, does everyone else do it that way? Not at all. But does yeah. that mean you shouldn't? No. Right. It means explore it. If it's something that's making you feel a certain way or evoking an emotion and you were a passion in you, yeah. you know, by all means, nurture that passion or that emotion, like explore it. Yeah. See where it takes you. Yeah. That's massive. Let me ask you just as we're closing up here. So now we've talked a little bit about your journey and everything, everything yeah. that's brought you, you know, this far. So after all your years in writing and leading worship and, you know, being an artist and everything, if someone was to come up to you, ask you like, okay, hey, I'm wanting to get into music, whether yeah. it's writing or artistry or like, you know, on the worship level, what what is a piece of advice you would offer them as they're entering right now? Like sure. something maybe you wished you knew back then or whatever. Man, I still like serve wherever as much as in as many different places as you can to get as much experience as you can. And that's that starts wherever you are, not just in Nashville or LA, yeah. like or New York. Like that's just wherever you are. And there's you may have to look like it may I mean, I remember like playing piano in a hotel, like playing in jazz bands and clubs and anything, singing background sessions. I mean, just jump in and do do as much as you can yeah wherever you can and stay hungry like when it's kind of past and you're it's not challenging you anymore and you're just maintaining it's time to look for yeah. the next challenge <laughs> yeah dude that's great i mean that's that's the total truth man we we talk about it a lot that once you're done learning it's time to do something else because right. there's no reason to not keep learning you there's no way to ever know every single detail about you know what it is you're you're doing yeah and that's great monster jared anderson a pleasure as always my friend oh, thank you for joining us and we'll see you guys next week on the show hi this is x o'connor and you've been listening to the full circle music show the why of the music biz this show is produced by the full circle music company with editing help from jericho scroggins and jordan salamoni there are some big changes happening in the full circle music world so keep up with everything full circle music make sure to follow us on instagram at full circle music co and again leave us a review let us know what you think of the show we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode